This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere Thursday at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Star Wars 7x7 episode 3184. The Foundling is chapter 20 of The Mandalorian and there were surprises galore throughout the episode. This will be a full spoiler breakdown, so let's get into it. Punch it! Hey Rebel Razor, I'm Alan Voivod and this is Star Wars 7x7, your daily dose of Star Wars joy. And thank you so much for joining me for it. So we'll do this in our typical 7 Takeaway Breakdown style and I'm going to start with the headline news. A mad best. Holy cow. Please tell me if you were as floored as I was when you saw the reveal, right? I mean, I had to stop. I had to hit pause on it because I, I mean... I wouldn't say I was full out crying, but God, I was weeping, absolutely just weeping with joy and surprise. Like what an incredible reveal. I had the moment where they were yelling, the Jedi were yelling like, get him to Kellerin, get him to Kellerin. And I was like, what? Kellerin? Like, no, that, what? And you know, (laughs) he dropped the name twice and then the doors open to the elevator and there's Ahmed Best as Kellerin Beck, who we saw hosting the Jedi Temple Challenge game show of all things, but that's an in-universe presentation for Ahmed Best's character. He is Kellerin Beck there, and oh wow, what a beautiful thing that was. The second takeaway has to do with a structural thing, and it's kind of related to what we saw in The Convert, which was last week's episode, chapter 19 of The Mandalorian, but it also kind of ties in a little bit more to previous seasons of The Mandalorian than that episode did in a sense to Andor. With The Convert, we were talking about how it was almost a little odd that they didn't take that whole Dr. Pershing story and kind of slice it up and deposit it into different episodes, very much like, you know, Andor was developed, like those, you know, first three episodes of the season. With this particular episode of The Mandalorian, it's actually kind of a surprise that Grogu's flashback wasn't parceled out into different episodes of season three of The Mandalorian. And that would have made it kind of similar and reflective of what happened with season one of The Mandalorian, where all the flashbacks with Din Djarin as Din Djarin. <laughs> Did I say Jarden? Uh, Din Djarin as a child, right? They were spread throughout the season, so we didn't actually get the whole picture of his rescue until you know, just about the end. And I got to wondering if that was a director thing or something, but it you know couldn't really well have been because in season one of The Mandalorian, they had different directors on each of the episodes, and so they could split out that part and still give credit to the proper director 
director. I don't know who directed specifically those flashback bits, and I haven't been able to find it online, but they could have done the same thing with this, and I think it's fascinating that they decided not to do that now for the second time in a row, basically. For a third takeaway, I'll say that I was beginning to get a feeling that the Mandalorian Forge there was hallucinatory in its effects somehow, because as Din sits in front of it, he starts having flashbacks. As Grogu sits in front of it, he starts having flashbacks. But that did not happen with Bo-Katan when she was sitting there. And, you know, they could have given her flashbacks to seeing the Mythosaur before asking the armorer about it. But Bo will be the focus of the fourth takeaway because the Mandalorian part of the episode is really about her. It's not very much about our titular Mandalorian at all. Bo-Katan is the one who is able to follow this giant raptor that snatches Ragnar Vizsla and follow it to its lair. We find out that this raptor has been stealing people and they've never been able to catch it because its lair is just too far away. But apparently nobody has a ship on this planet. Nobody's been able to fly after it or anything like that. Bo-Katan is the first person who's been able to do that for them. And she's been tapped as the leader of a war party to go attack this raptor and get the kid back as a result. Then as they camp overnight, there's a little bit of funny and a little bit of you know, sweetness with Bo-Katan having to ask Din, like, how do we do the eating thing without removing our helmets? And we find out that basically with this Mandalorian custom, nobody eats together. Everybody eats by themselves, which is a little sad, I feel like. But the touching moment between Paz and Bo-Katan where Paz says that you know, as the leader of the war party, she gets the honor of eating by the fire. You know, that was a very nice thing, especially, you know, coming to find out that Paz is trying to go after his kid and he has deferred leadership to Bo-Katan in this particular case, even as she's just arrived to this covert. Then for a fifth takeaway, I'll flag the fact that, you know, Bo-Katan has a very meaningful exchange at the end of this episode with the armorer talking about getting a mythosaur put on her replacement pauldron and then revealing to the armorer that she saw a mythosaur under the living waters of Mandalore. And the armorer's very cryptic response is, you know, when you walk the way of the Mandalore, you see many things. Like, that's not very helpful, but then when Bo tries to reinforce the point, her response is, this is the way. Again, not necessarily very helpful, but something that perhaps Bo-Katan may draw some strength from. And I know that earlier on in the season, I perhaps cast an aspersion or two on Bo-Katan's motives, thinking that she might look at you know, the fact that she's lucked into this covert as a way to, you know, gain control over another group of Mandalorians and possibly take back Mandalore that way. Well, yeah, I am not so sure I want to cast that aspersion anymore necessarily. I think she may be coming into that realization in a much more honest and learned and earned experienced way instead. For a fifth takeaway, I want to note that the Mandalorian covert has gotten huge 
huge. There were multiple dozens of people that we saw at the beginning of the episode practicing their fighting skills, doing target practice, doing flamethrower practice, right? There was a ton of stuff going on. And so, you know, this also ties into what I was saying earlier that no one had a ship to go fly after this raptor or anything like that. That's rather shocking. And then when the armorer talks about <laughs> Krogu's little, you know, um, uh, rondelle and how everything that they do in the clan, like when they earn money, some of it is set aside to go to a foundling. If nobody has a ship because nobody's able to fly after that thing, then how is anybody earning any money to be able to do this? Like this is kind of raising some questions for me about how the covert is getting to be that huge and yet nobody seems to have a starship of any kind there. Hopefully there'll be some explanation of that later on. And we know Mandalorians are going to get to Navarro at some point, whether they're just all going to go on Bo-Katan ship or not, who knows, but we'll see. For a sixth takeaway, we have more monster fun this episode with the giant pterodactyl. They refer to it as a raptor in the audio description. So that giant winged crazy bird and getting it wrapped up and having it fall into the lake and then having the dinosaur turtle jump out and get it again. Like we've had some Jurassic Park moments in here, but there is also, I swear to you, a little bit of background music that sounded almost Game of Thrones-like as though those little raptor chicks were being rescued to eventually be trained and ridden like dragons somehow. Like sort of, I guess, mythosaur replacements in some sense. And I don't know about you, but I was shocked and also laughed out loud very quickly afterward when that giant raptor just went uh, 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 and then vomited up Ragnar alive and well as if to feed Ragnar to the baby chicks. Like what a startling development that was. And as a last takeaway, I'll say congratulations to Carl Weathers for directing an action-packed episode. Yet another wonderful entry from Carl Weathers for The Mandalorian. And I do think that it was also rather funny that Bo-Katan said, oh, and I've got three more foundlings for you to the armorer. And the raptor chicks were being let off the thing. And the armorer's like, is that so? Like, I don't see how these raptors are going to become Mandalorians whatsoever. So yeah, back to the dragon thing I just mentioned, but yeah, that was kind of a funny little moment, you could say. That's what I've got for you on our seven takeaway breakdown of The Foundling, which is chapter 20 of The Mandalorian. For our deep dive tomorrow, we're going to dig into the rescue because yeah, it's the rescue, right? <laughs> So hang in there. We will talk about that in depth tomorrow. But for now, that's going to do it for today's episode of the show. And it just remains for me to say thank you so much for joining me for it as always. And may the force be with you wherever in the world you may be. Is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox, and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited, other respective trademark and copyright holders. May the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2021 by Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.